Now, here's your host, Kevin Conover. Bring your time and bring your shame. Welcome to Educate for Life. I'm your host, Kevin Conover. My website's educateforlife.org. And um, I'm really looking forward to the show today. We have a great show coming up. If you were listening last week, I actually had Walt Brown on my program. Uh, and he is a uh, he is an engineer, a former engineer, uh, all kinds of credentials, um, a professor and so forth. Walt Brown was. And he is living in Arizona. He's the one that wrote the book in the beginning. And he has all this... Uh, scientific um, uh, evidence and support for the flood uh, from geology. And uh, this year, this uh, today, this week, I have a guest on my show, Bill Ludlow, also from Arizona. And before I bring him on, I mean, and you can see us here on the screen if you're streaming live. Um, I'll, let me tell you a little bit about him. He studied at Lansing Community College. This is from Bill's website, Michigan State University. And he's also been an av- avid amateur geologist, paleontologist, and fossil collector for many years. He's the owner of his own uh, uh, entertainment company, Dirty Goat Productions. You can check that out at dirtygoat.com. And uh, he, he spends much of his time in Arizona studying the landscape, searching for fossils, and fishing. Very good. He is a member of the Geological Society of America, Southwest Paleontolo- Paleontological Society, and the National Center for Science Education. He currently volunteers at the Arizona Museum of Natural History, where he teaches human origins. His discoveries of 270 million year old mammal like reptile tracks in Arizona on the, I don't know how you pronounce that, Mongolian. Is that right, Bill? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, Rim were presented at the Regional Geological Society of American Convention in Flagstaff, Arizona in 2018. And he's been awarded a five year permit by the federal government to continue studying and collecting data in that region. And uh, just a disclaimer um, Bill is an atheist and. Uh, you know, I love having different people from different perspectives on my program. I've had Lawrence Krauss, uh, also, uh, who teaches at the University of Arizona. I've had uh, Dan Barker. I've had Michael Shermer and uh, a variety of other uh, atheists or Buddhists or Muslims on my program. And I love to hear different people's perspectives. I am specifically a young earth creationist. Um, I believe that scripture and science uh, supports that more than it does any other particular perspective. And uh, obviously, Bill uh, disagrees with me, but but uh, I, I want to hear what he has to say. And I find I learn a lot when I listen to what other people think and their experiences and their the evidence they present. So looking forward to this. Bill, thanks for being on the program today. Thanks for having me. Can I tell how I found you? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, you know, I, I'm kind of an online course junkie. I take a lot of these free online courses and that, and, and uh, I get weekly emails from, I believe it was classcentral.com, um, clicked on the link, and uh, I was looking at the courses on evolution, Sure. and an, there was an ad, actually, for one of your classes on there. I don't so, put those ads um, up, by the way. That's, that's, Udemy puts those up, not me. <laughs> okay, yeah. So I saw an ad for one of your courses. I clicked on it, you know, I went to your website and checked it out and was able to look at some of your uh, preview videos and, and things like that. Um, and so, you know, I, I just thought I would contact you and see if, uh, you know, based on the fact you had the radio show and everything, if you might want to have a discussion on that. So. Yeah, yeah, I think it's awesome. And then and Bill told me that he has debated Kent Hovind uh, last year. So I think that's uh, incredible, too. Uh, if you don't know who Kent Hovind is, um, he's been uh, teaching creation in, on, on the creation evolution subject forever. Um, he, he's a slightly infamous now um, after having uh, rebelled against the U.S. government and then uh, ending up in prison for a little while. Um, but regardless, um, I think that's pretty cool that you debated him. And uh, 
So what I'm curious to know, Bill, is um, first of all, how did you get started down this road? When did you when did you decide that you were an atheist? Did you grow up? What kind of family did you grow up? Background did you grow up in? And then what was that process like where you finally came to the conclusion? You know, I think the evidence supports sure. atheism and, and so forth. You know, I I was baptized Lutheran. Um, I was actually confirmed Episcopalian. Okay, sorry for that. We had a, a quick technical difficulty there. But, Bill, you were saying sure. um, in college there was a guy that, that um, your roommate had a friend who was really big into the uh, Young Earth Creationist. Oh, the friend's roommate, yeah. 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 Um, and, and uh, yeah, he was a real big into Young Earth Creationist. And I, I guess I just didn't realize before that that people like that existed. Mm-hmm. That I actually believe the world was 6,000 years old. You know, the church that I went to growing up as a child didn't teach that. So um, never been really exposed to it. And then with the internet um, in the 90s, you know, I, I found out about Kent Hovind and joined some of these message boards, forums and things where they discuss this type of thing. And, um, you know, it just was uh, real interesting to me that yeah, trying to, trying to find out why people believe the way they did here. So. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, so I, I'm, you know, I lean young earth creationist. That's my perspective. And for me, I'm very evidence-based. So to me, I look at the evidence and I go, this is by far the most compelling argument. Um, and I'm relatively familiar with the science that pertains to the issues. I mean, uh, people, can, there's, there's tons to learn out there, so I'm always open to new information. But like I said, I've interviewed people like Lawrence Krauss. I've interviewed a lot of the skeptics out there. And so um, I've listened to the debates. So uh, what for you is, is the most, I don't know, what is the most compelling evidence for you that the universe or the earth is millions, billions of years old? Well, the scientific dating methods that are used. Um, Radioisotope dating use. and so forth. Radiometric dating, yeah. I mean, as far as, um, you know, how we determine a minimum and maximum age of the earth. Um, I mean, you believe, correct me if I'm wrong, that sure. um, basically in the way Bishop Usher um, described it was through uh, or, or researched it, you know, determined the age of the earth was through genealogies in the Bible. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah, and I believe the Bible is um, has been around just a fraction of a second in geological time, you know, sure. and that it can't be used as a science book. Um, yeah. So, so, so here, let me can ask I, you. Go ahead. How, let me let me ask you sure. real quick though. How, I mean, what is your understanding on how we date the Earth? How do you believe that scientists date the Earth? Well, I know that uh, generally speaking, there's a lot of different ways that people will go about dating either the earth or the universe or whatever it might be. So everything has to be dated differently. So for example, you have to use carbon 14 dating on things that were living, but you can't use carbon dating on something that's not alive, like a rock. So you might use uh, potassium argon dating or whatever. You're going to use different radioisotopes based on what it is you're trying to measure. And, and depending on how far back you want to go affects also. So carbon 14 dating is only accurate supposedly to about 200,000 years. So you've got to switch to another radioisotope in order to get back to, uh, if you want to go older than that, you can't use carbon dating. So, uh, and then there's, of course, there's the issues of uh, um, people, people are looking at rates of, uh, rates of particular things. So one of the newer ways of trying to evaluate uh, the age of the earth or the age of living things is based on what's happening within genetics. So the mutation accumulation rate within genetics. It's one of the newer methods of trying to date things. So um, I know there's a, a lot of uh, different ways of trying to date things, but 
what I've found a lot of times is that certain assumptions or assertions are just taken for granted without a lot of digging into exactly how they came up with that. And it ends up being circular. A lot of it ends up being circular because they're assuming uh, the ages are old before they've come to that conclusion with the evidence. And so they use the evidence to justify the, justify the method and the method to justify the evidence. Um, but, but, and so far I haven't heard something that's ultra compelling as far as the age of the earth is concerned. I, I haven't heard a lot that is very compelling to me. Um, but you know what? We're coming up on a quick break, Bill, and I'll let you respond okay. to what I just said here. Um, Bill Ludlow is on the, is on the air with me here today. And he is a, uh, uh, atheist as well as, um, obviously if he's an atheist, typically old earth geology, I am a, a young earth. I, I, I take uh, the young earth position. So we're having a great discussion about that. Stay with us. We'll be right back. How can you live in San Diego and miss out on enjoying the water? Fast Lane Kayaking sells popular Hobie Cat kayaks that you pedal, not paddle. That means your hands are left free for fishing and fun. Just throw these on your roof rack. They're light and they're easy to use and maintain. Just rinse them off. Try one free on a demo ride. For 36 years, Ron and Debbie Lane have served San Diego with fun, family-friendly water sports of all kinds. Learn more. FastLaneSailing.com. Six 619-222-0766. Thanks for listening today. This is Kevin Conover. I'm your host on Educate for Life. We're on the radio uh, down here in San Diego, Southern California. K-Praise, 1210 AM. We're also on North County, FM 106.1. And then we're streaming all over the place. I've got all kinds of uh, YouTube, Facebook, uh, Periscope. And then Bill, Bill, my guest today, is also uh, putting this up on his channel. If you're, if you're interested, I love this kind of discussion. It's very interesting to me. And um, I love talking to different people uh, who are experts on these different issues. So uh, Bill has a lot of experience in paleontology and geology. And Bill, um, I wanted to give you the opportunity to explain to me how things are actually dated here. I, I'm, I'm very interested to hear what you have to say. Sure. Yeah. Um, my website too, by the way, I haven't mentioned is creationsciencefiction.com. So, um, and you know, I offered a challenge a couple of years ago. You've heard of Ian Juby probably. Say it again. Um, he dedicated Ian Juby. Okay. Have you heard of him? I haven't. Yeah. The cre- young earth creationist out of Canada. Um, you know, that no scientific dating method used to date the age of earth or, or no scientific dating method at all actually has ever given us a, a age of six or even six to 10,000 years. Um, so I, I want to explain how we do actually date the earth. Um, Cosmos episode seven, that's a great series. If you haven't seen that, uh, they talk about this a lot in there, but, um, you know, Claire Patterson was a geochemist who was the first to give us a pretty accurate estimation of the Earth's age after determining the age of a meteorite. But we, we can only really determine a maximum age from that. So the way we date the age of the Earth today is twofold. Uh, we measure the minimum age of the Earth by calculating the amount of radioactive decay in zircon crystals. So zircon crystals are very tough. We use a uranium lead dating on these. While rock or sediment around the crystals may have eroded a long time ago, the crystals remain intact. So we, we can find them almost in like second generation sedimentary rock. So zirconium and uranium are very similar. 
So during the formation of these crystals, some uranium manages to bond with the zirconium and get trapped inside. Uranium decays very slowly into lead, which is a lot different from zirconium, and therefore it wouldn't have bonded in the first place, so we know it wasn't present in the original crystal. So the more lead you find in a zircon crystal, the older it is. Using the radioactive decay law and the known half-life of uranium, we can then determine the minimum age of the Earth. So currently, the oldest known zircon crystals are about 4.4 billion years old, which gives us a minimum age. So determining the maximum age of the Earth is done by dating meteorites, since they would have formed about the same time as the Earth back when our solar system formed. So samples from the Diablo, or Canyon Diablo meteorite, which is right here, crashed in Arizona 50,000 years ago, left a big crater east of Flagstaff, show an age of about 4.53 to 4.58 billion years. So, um, okay, so again... Okay, so let me make sure I understand what you're saying. So mm-hmm. you're saying that using radioisotope dating and right. using, uh, what was it, uranium, you said? This is... Using uh, uranium, um, uranium lead dating is called. Okay, yeah. so, so, so uranium, uranium changes to lead. Okay, so uranium is the unstable decades. isotope, the parent isotope, and Correct. then the, the uh, lead is the daughter isotope. And do you know the half-life of uranium to lead, what it is? It's o- over a billion years. I don't know off the top of my head. But, okay. Yeah. Okay, so... so. so um, uh, I wanted to interject here, but you can. I, I don't want to uh, stop your thought process there. Um, did you want to finish what you were saying? Well, all I would have to say is, you know, most of the creationist arguments I see against this, they just use the word assumptions a lot. They use the word assumptions over and over and over, like like assumptions are a bad thing. I mean, sure. and you know, we are using what's called we, they know the half life, and we and we've measured it. Sure, so we've only measured some of these things for maybe a hundred years, but but. We use what's called the radioactive decay law, and and every nuclear power plant, every nuclear everything that we have relies on that law. Um, it, it is a scientific law. It is not, and, and it is mathematically calculated, um, and it just holds true for all those different isotopes. Yeah, yeah. Some things, like carbon-14, can be affected by the environment, um, and other things that can be subject to contamination. But things like a zircon crystal, I mean, these things are sealed. Um, we can tell if they've been if they become contaminated. So yeah. we, we aren't making assumptions on contamination. We aren't making assumptions on the radioactive uh, decay rate. Um, you know, so I'm, we're, we're I'm very using a, a scientific law. Yeah, I'm so. very interested in what you're saying because this to me is a real uh, kind of crux point, what you're making. It's, it's a linchpin issue uh, because I've mm-hmm. interviewed Dr. John ba- Baumgartner. He's a geophysicist. And he's done studies on this. And what they've found is, because um, this, is, this is a counterpoint to what you're saying. I'd like to really get to the truth of this. Um, mm-hmm. In diamonds, which are considered, like zircon, are very, very hard. They're almost impossible to contaminate simply because they are so hard. And typically, people, geologists, assume that diamonds were formed at the very lowest strata in Earth. So over 500 million mm-hmm. years old. And so when you get a, when you get a diamond, you don't... Because diamonds are formed from coal, right? And coal is formed from uh, plant matter. And plant matter has C14 in it. So the plant matter turns to coal. The coal has C14 in it, which is a radioisotope. And then it turns into diamonds. Now, the diamonds are supposedly formed millions and millions of years ago. And so what you would expect is that because C14's half-life 
means that it can only last for 200,000 years, you would expect that there would be no C14 in diamonds. But what they found is tons of C14 inside diamonds. So the question becomes, how is it possible if C14 only lasts 200,000 years before it changes into N14, how can you still have C14 in diamonds, which cannot be contaminated and are supposedly formed in the bottom layers of the earth? And so for me, that, that again there is, okay, some, one of us is missing a puzzle piece. Something is, is wrong here. Because I'll give you another example of the same thing. So uh, the USGS, the United States Geological Survey, actually took uh, coal seams and they had them laid out all the way from the top all the way to the bottom. And again, coal has C14 from plants, right? Well, what you would expect is that if these layers were laid down over millions or billions of years, you would expect that as you go down into the earth, on the very bottom layers, the coal seams at the bottom would have no C14 because they were formed first and they're the oldest. And as you move up, you would see a steady increase in the amount of C14 in the coal seams until you got to the top where you would have the most C14 still left. But what they actually found in the coal seam layers is a similar amount of C14 all the way from the top to the bottom. And so, again, what that speaks to is evidence that all these, these layers were actually light, laid down very, very quickly over a short amount of time rather than very uh, slowly over a long amount of time. And so I, I'm hearing these different evidences back and forth. And for me, that's why I, I tend, along with other facts, I tend to lean towards young earth creation because that would be explained well if there was a worldwide flood where all those layers were laid down all at the same time, then that would, uh, from a predictability perspective, that's what uh, uh, young earth creation theory would, would uh, postulate, and then that is what you see in the actual coal seams. I don't know if that makes sense, what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, the only problem is diamonds are not actually formed from coal. Um, you know, diamonds and coal are both forms of carbon. Um, but diamonds are not found, formed from coal. In fact, most of the diamonds on Earth um, are way older than, you know, any coal deposits. Um, but that just proves the, the point. The re- Do you see what I'm saying? Well, now? no, because the diamonds form naturally deep in the Earth out of carbon, but they're not formed from coal. And you couldn't carbon date a diamond because it was never ever anything that was alive and in, in, in equilibrium There should the be no C14 um, in it, right? If it's millions of years old, well, there should be no C14 in the diamond. Not necessarily, because because radioactivity can modify the carbon in the diamond, and it can create what we would uh, measure as C14 in a lab, but it's not, it was never created in the environment. It's created right there in the diamond. So, but, but, regardless, it, but regardless, because C14 can only last about 200,000 years before it decays into N14, because diamonds are found as far as I understand it, on the lower levels, the, the bottom of uh, those, those strata, we would expect that there would be no C14 in them, and yet it's there, which means that if diamonds are formed you know, at the beginning of Earth, right, then we would expect there would be no C14, which means it couldn't have been millions or billions of years ago. But the formation of C14 in diamonds from contamination or from radioactivity could, be, could have been way more recent. Okay, so and there's that's always what, an explanation that's what I would say. for that. So, um, so for me, that you know, would be an coal, assertion. Then. Yeah, coal um, is uh, uh, something that's modified. You know, again, when we do when we do carbon fourteen dating, things cannot be contaminated. They cannot be modified. Um, you don't. You don't. Uh, um, you don't do 
we don't carbon date fossils in like metamorphic rock that have been changed by heat and pressure and everything else like that. We just we know that doesn't work. It's also why we don't uh, test coal with the carbon fourteen dating method. Yeah. We, we would date coal layers by using both absolute and um, uh, relative dating methods based on the layer that they're in. We wouldn't yeah. date the coal later by carbon dating it at all. It would be okay. silly. So. Um, my guest today is Bill Ludlow, and uh, he is uh, uh, living in Arizona. He's an amateur paleontologist and geologist, and he's very, very much. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to use the word amateur as somebody who doesn't know what he's talking about because he's been doing this for a long time, and uh, he does know what he's talking about. So um, stay with us. We're having a great discussion about the age of the Earth, and uh, Bill Ludlow. Um, you can check him out on um, his website too which is uh, creationsciencefiction.org. Bill, I take offense to that. I take offense to that website name. Okay, oh, dot com. No, I'm just kidding. I take no offense. Okay, we'll be right back. Luke Gibson of LG Equipment supports Educate for Life with Kevin Conover. Luke grew up in the construction industry and now serves LG's commercial and residential customers throughout Southern California. Whether you need grading, paving, hauling, demolition, on-site bulk water service, water trucks, tankers, and towers, call LG Equipment at 619-998-0924. Learn more at lgequipment.com. 619-998-0924. Thanks for listening today. This is Educate for Life. I'm your host, Kevin Conover. And uh, if you're watching online, I hope you're enjoying the program so far. And uh, if you have comments or stuff you want to shoot my way or you want to shoot Bill's way, please do so. Um, I love to engage in this sort of discussion. I'm actually having a discussion on the age of the earth on my Facebook page um, right before this this uh, show today. And uh, I find it very interesting. A lot of people with different perspectives. So I think we can all uh, take a little bit of humility and learn from one another and um, uh, I'm listening to Bill here and uh, listen to what he has to say. So, Bill, you said you wanted me to give you my my best argument for the age of the Earth. Okay, so I, so p- particularly um, for me, and I'm sure this is the way it is for you too, is that my my um, viewpoint isn't established on one main point. It's it's a variety of data points that I feel all together make a make a case that the Earth is young, and my particular view is about six thousand years old. So. I guess I'll just pull out a variety of different data points and just say these are some of the things that that do it for me. And um, one of the big ones is the Bible itself because the Bible, I believe, um, although it's a religious book, it started out as a history book. And so I believe that the people that wrote it were actually writing down real history. And the reason I think that is because if you look at a lot of the stories in the Bible, they're actually verified by ar- by archaeology. Uh, just a, about a month or so ago, I just met the guy that discovered um, Jericho, uh, and he's doing all this archaeological dig on Jericho now. Um, they found, uh, you know, Hezekiah's tunnel. They found so much stuff. Uh, I just talked to another guy who uh, he's doing all this work on Egypt, and they've now found in 15 different tombs a recording of um, Moses and the Red Sea event. They have 15 different Egyptian tombs that have this um, out on the walls. 
So when I look at all the, this historical stuff and it's ver- validated, and then as I continue to look at it, to me it makes a lot of sense that um, the history recorded in the Bible is an actual real history. Uh, that's one of the points. Uh, another point would be that um, it's interesting to me that according to evolutionists, we've been here for 200,000 years as human beings, but we have no writings, no consistent calendars, writing systems, historical records that go back past 6,000 years. So it's interesting that we would be human for 195,000 years, 194,000 years, and then all of a sudden we start writing. Why, why were we as smart as we are today, but we didn't start writing for 194,000 years? To me, I look at that, and that to me is good evidence that uh, we've only been here for around 6,000 years. Uh, one of my favorite ones, and I'll, I'll stop with this one and let you respond, um, I had a, a really interesting discussion with Dr. John Sanford. He's a Cornell University uh, professor. He was there for 30 years. He has 30 different genetic patents. Very, very smart guy. And he he basically looked at the de- genetic de- de- excuse me the genetic decay rate in humans. And what he found was that based on the rate at which uh, uh, mutations um, the genome is decaying, basically they're point mutations. It's 100 to 300 per generation. Um, we actually couldn't go back too far um, because if we had been here as long as evolutionists say, we had already gone extinct because of the decay of the genetic genomes, uh, a genome. So population geneticists, there's this guy named Kondrashov. He's a really famous population geneticist. He's not a Christian, not a young earth creationist, but he has this statement, why are we still alive? Based on the, the current uh, genetic decay rate, we shouldn't even exist anymore because we are accumulating um, uh, genetic problems too quickly so when i put all this stuff together pieced it together uh, along with a quite a few other data points i feel like uh, the young earth uh, position is the most credible position both scientifically and historically okay um you know the argument though that there are things in the bible or things in genesis the old testament that are real um could also be used to support any Abrahamic religion. I mean, um, the Muslims could say the exact same thing, and so could the Jews. So, you know, there's a there's a, a term in English writing, and I can't remember what it is, where, you know, some fiction or, or when you're trying to make a, a fiction-type book uh, seem more real, they use real places and events. Now, you know, I do think that there is some historical truths to the Bible. There definitely are. Um, I think that a lot of the interpretations of that, though, um, as far as the disasters and things like that attributed to God, were just because of basic lack of understanding, you know, of, of um, what uh, maybe, you know, the stories that were told down about this, you know, that were embellished and, and made to f- kind of fit the religion. So um, I do believe, again, that there are, you know, truths in the Bible as far as historical truths, but I, I think that the entire uh, Genesis 1, all that type of thing is more allegorical. Um, you can get some good things out of it, but it's, it's not meant to be fact. Um, well, so. I'll give you another example. So, for example, um, there's something called the Sumerian King List, and it's, it's completely extra-biblical. It's nothing to do with the Bible. They found 15 copies of this in different locations through archaeology, and each one mentions places that are listed in the Bible and mentions people listed in the Bible. So what it's doing is it's an extra-biblical reference. It's an additional testimony confirming that these people were real and the places were real. And you can look at that. Um, I'll give you another example. There are over 400 flood stories now that have been found all over the earth, 
that are specifically talking about a worldwide flood where a family was saved and animals were rescued and there was a judgment. So the question becomes, how do you get 400 flood stories from all over the earth, right, um, that all have a very similar story. There are, there are differences, but tons of, of very, very similar parallels, um, all talking about the same event. And, and um, I just don't see how, after looking at these different evidences, that we can just brush it off and say, ah, no, everybody just talks about floods. Um, the stories are too similar. Um, and evolution or long-age geology it's not just that you have to prove that there was long ages. You, you have to explain why these, there's these other things going on that, um, that, that do not fit the theory, right? They don't fit the data points. They don't match up. But an example is the hadrosaur that Mary Schweitzer recently found and the T-Rex she found and the triceratops that Mark Armitage found, all with soft tissue in them. Why do we have dinosaurs that supposedly have been here for 65 million years but then have soft tissue inside of them? Uh, so, uh, oh, yeah. can I respond yeah, now? Because yeah, otherwise, I think I'll run out of time. Soft tissue in dinosaurs has been known about since the 1970s. Um, we're not even sure. I mean, Mark Armitage hasn't really put his. Uh, I know his paper was peer reviewed. He never dated the fossil, though, or never published a date for it. Um, people are actually not even sure that it's a triceratops horn. There's been a lot of speculation it may be a bison horn. Um, I've uh, spoken with Mary Schweitzer myself. I did a Google Hangout like this with her um, over a year ago. And, and, you know, Mary's a Christian. Um, and she's an evangelical Christian, evangelical Christian. She considers herself. She's just not a young earth creationist, and she gets really upset when people oh, I'm not. kind of adopt her work and everything. Because she spent ten years, and I'm not, I'm not angry with you, no. Yeah. But she spent ten years studying this, and she came up with the, um, you know, the reason why the soft tissue was preser- preserved. And you know, soft tissue is a type of tissue. It doesn't mean it was soft and stretchy when it was found. Soft tissue is organic material. Soft tissues from your body, but that have been preserved. Yeah, but you, she, know, now, you can look at the microscope. Was, she can see. Yeah, she it was soaked it in acid everything. to make it. Right, but it was soaked in acid to dissolve the minerals and, and prepare it to be able to do that. Um, she also found that iron was a preservative, and there's been four other independent um, studies done that have come to the same conclusion since she published that a couple of years ago. Yeah. So, I mean, I've read the details. We on have that, a lot of studies but, now on that. But, you know, also you talked a bit about, again, the Bible and the, you know, the, the king's list and everything like that. I mean, there are stories like Moby Dick out there that, that have actual places in them and things. But we can't take the whole story as literal. We can learn things from it, but we can't take the entire thing as a, a literal I understand, I understand fact, the perspective so. you're saying, but we can, neither, we can neither say none of it's true either. So we're kind of at a difficult position where we have to go, okay, well... We know some of it's true, but we don't know that all of it's true. But how much can we know that's true, and, and how does that affect you know, um, our perspective on reality? Uh, all of life is based on probabilities, right? So uh, I wasn't there. You weren't there. So we have to draw a conclusion. Um, I feel like I've taken right. up a lot of, of the time here. Uh, we're coming up on a break again, but... Um, I'm going to give you the one quick thing. Then, yeah. can I just say uh, one yeah. quick thing? Then, mention the flood stories. You know, not a single one matches Genesis. Not a single one. In fact, you know, when they talk about how similar they are, and most of the time, it's water is almost the only similarity. Here's a good one, uh, real short. Chameleon heard a strange noise, like water running in a tree, but at that time, there was no water in the world. 
world. He cut open the trunk and water came out in a great flood that spread all over the earth. The first human couple emerged with the water. Now that's a pygmy, African pygmy flood myth. That's one of the stories creationists include in flood stories of the world. So, you know, there's no way that that someone could read that and, um, you know, say it's anywhere similar to the story we see in Genesis. Uh, I think Genesis, I think a lot of the, the reason to have flood stories is there were a lot of floods, <laughs> um, but local and regional floods, not any kind of worldwide flood, because I don't believe there's any evidence for that. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, we're coming up on a break here. My guest is Bill Ludlow, and we're having a great discussion. I wish this discussion could go on for like four hours or something, but it can't. <laughs> so, so, uh, but stay with us. We've got another one more segment left, and we'll uh, we'll continue to discuss this issue. Thanks for being uh, with us today. Uh, you're listening to Kevin Conover on Educate for Life. My website's educateforlife.org, and I hope you've been enjoying the show. I really have. Um, I love uh, talking to people who have different views than I do. I get bored uh, talking to people that agree with me about everything, so uh, I think it's kind of fun to talk to people who have different perspectives, and Bill Ludlow does. Um, he has a great website you can check out if you'd like. Uh, it's create, creationsciencefiction.com. Make sure you counterpoint, you counterbalance it, though, <laughs> uh, with, some other, with some other perspectives, too. But uh, it's great that we have the Internet. We can, we can hear all these different perspectives, you know, from different people. So that's, that's really cool. Um, so, Bill, uh, we've been talking about the age of the Earth and everything, and uh, you wanted to ask me the question. Um, say that question again you, you mentioned off the air. Okay, let me set it up a little bit first, too. You know, uh, there's been studies out there uh, by the Barna Group and, and others and, and by Christian organizations that show that um, Christianity loses a lot of people by the time that they get to college and, and beyond, you know. And, and pretty much the more educated you get, and, and I'm not saying Christians are uneducated, but, but the more educated they get in the sciences, um, People tend to drop away, and and one of the reasons they found out is that they felt that their their upbringing was anti science, especially young Earth creationism. And so, I believe that what you're doing in teaching young Earth creationism is risking losing people altogether once they grow up and basically grow out of it. So, I wanted to hear your thoughts on that. Um, I just think that, you know, I'm not an anti-theist, I'm an atheist, but I, I see young earth creationism as slowly going away, uh, the way of flat earth, the way of that thing, and, and I think you're just really risking losing the people that you're trying to reach by being so adamant that the earth is 6,000 years old. Yeah. Well, you know, personally, I love to have different perspectives, so I'm not about silencing dissent, so... 
my perspective is let's hear everybody's view, let's evaluate uh, what the truth is, and let's go towards the truth. Um, but if I were to say, okay, I'm losing people, therefore I should stop teaching this, right? That's the ends justify the means. So meaning um, I'm going to do something that I think would be dishonest in order to achieve the goal of keeping people in the religion. And I think that's a red flag for any religion. Any religion that doesn't allow you to think freely um, uh, and tries to hold you in, right? Jehovah's Witnesses do this. They, they used to not even let their people use the internet. Um, Muslims do this. If you even question Allah, uh, they silence you and tell you you're sinning. But as a Christian, my, my, I teach apologetics to young people, to students. I, t- I tell them, you're going to go out and you're going to ta- talk to an atheist. You're going to go talk to an evolutionist. You're going to go talk to a Buddhist. You're going to go talk to a Muslim. And then we're going to have a discussion and you're going you're gonna to evaluate what the truth is. So personally, my personal philosophy, which I believe is a biblical philosophy, is that Jesus Christ said, when you seek me, you will find the truth and the truth will set you free. So I believe that if you seek out truth, you'll end up at Jesus. If you seek out Jesus, you'll end up at truth. Now, that being said, I, I believe um, I'm an evidentialist. So I look at the evidence and I, I want to draw good conclusions. The reason that people are walking away, in my opinion, isn't because they're being taught young earth creationism. It's because they're not being taught the actual science behind the view that the earth is young. So I'm not allowed to talk about a, a, a view of God that presents young earth creationism in a public school. I'm not, literally not allowed to talk about it. Scientists, if, if you go to a school and you try to talk about intelligent design or the science behind radioisotope dating that supports young earth creationism, uh, you are not allowed to talk about it. I was invited to go speak at a school, public school, on a um, job day. And they said, you can come. I said, I'm a Bible teacher. Can I still come? They said, you can come. You just can't talk about the Bible. And I understand that they don't want you indoctrinating kids. I understand that. But at the same time, there's a difference between indoctrination and actually presenting facts. And there are a lot of problems with evolutionary theory that that I have seen. And I've talked to many people who who agree with me on this. Um, And those problems aren't typically allowed the opportunity to be presented. And I don't think it's a fair opportunity for people to be able to evaluate the truth. So I guess I would say that the reason people are leaving isn't because um, isn't because the, 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 the science is lacking, but it's because either the, the science isn't taught well, or a straw man is put up, or um, it's essentially locked out of the classroom in school. I mean, I went to, you know, I went to UCSD, and uh, that's a very science-heavy school, and uh, I had the opportunity to talk to lots of people, but of course, there's not going to be a perspective on creation in those those classes. They just uh, they they couch it as religion, and so therefore you're silenced. You're told you can't talk about it. Now you teach in a Christian school, though. I do, yeah. not a private school. Yeah, but I was and invited to a, I was invited to a job fair at a public school, my school that I went to. Okay. Yeah, but you do currently teach young Earth creationism, basically, or I mean, in your apologetics classes, do you talk about the age of the Earth? Or? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I talk about the and I know in the online course that you presented, it's all geared around young earth creationists. It is. Too, so. I teach the other perspectives, but then I tell everybody, my personal perspective is that the, there is more evidence for the young earth position than any other position, and um, then I give them that. Um, I teach them evolution too. I mean, I, I teach all about what evolution teaches, and I teach it accurately. I even used to bring in an evolutionist I, I, to my class uh, on a regular basis. <laughs> to teach the, the class to make sure I wasn't teaching something that wasn't true. I would love to talk to you again about maybe about your human origins video. Cause I was, I did watch that and um, I'd love to talk to you about that. Oh, I'd future. love to talk about it. And as far as, because yeah, yeah I mean, I, I think you really kind of 
Anywhere um, I'm off, anywhere I'm off, I'm happy to be corrected. And, yeah. <laughs> um, hey, hey, you know, I, I, I'm not a perfect person, and I, I sure don't claim to have all knowledge. So I'm always open to somebody right. saying, hey, did you know this, or did you know this, or did you know this? I mean, for me, that's how I learn. So that's, I think. That's if you, I mean. you haven't watched my with Kent Hovind yet, or no? No, I want to watch that, though. I'm going to watch it. Yeah. The 20 minutes at the beginning is an overview of what we currently teach on human evolution for the last, say, three and a half to four million years. So um, it's a really good overview. And um, 95% of what was in that, you don't mention in your uh, your section your on, when you talk about human evolution. So that's where I'm getting is that um, by leaving out what we do teach and focusing on things that might have been taught 100 years ago, you're not actually giving a false perspective to the students on, on what's taught about evolution. I, that's I'm why, really curious to know what it is. Um, give me one of the – can you give me a quick example of like something that's currently being taught that uh, is kind of new information that would be more supportive of the evolution uh, human origins issue? issue? Well, the fact that we now know that it was not like a ladder-like progression, you know. We don't use that march of progress, you know, uh, set of man kind of image. I mean, that hasn't been used in a long, long time. Uh, it was really just featured in magazines and stuff. But, um, you know, we know now that, that at any given time there were different populations of hominins, human ancestors, that had a lot of very many different species been alive at the same time. Um it wasn't a ladder-like progression from one to the next. But like, say, in your presentation, you show this species, this species, this species. So, um, you know, again, it's just, I would say, so, 95% so there is a, of what there's not a, a ladder-like progression, yeah. but what, what is the progression then? It, if you've got a bunch of different hominid species uh, all over the mm -hmm. place, what is the, different, what is the progression that you're well, referring to? What we see over time is we see the change in populations, and we see, um, you know, primitive features in the earlier ones we see those features go away over time we see more derived you know or or modern type features in the more recent ones um, and we just see a gradual change uh the with uh a very good example of change from ape to modern human uh between 2.2 say 1.7 1.6 million years ago um what you would call a change in kind, you know, we just call a change in species over time. Um, but I mean, the evidence is all there, but, um, I don't, you know, yeah. that's why I said may, that may be a whole other discussion. Yeah, absolutely. Us. I, you know, I'd love to have you on another time bill to, to get more into maybe more specifics on a particular subject. Yeah. I'd find that very interesting. Uh, one last thing too, yeah. or one thing this, I, I don't make any money off of this, but, sure. um, friend of mine who's a Christian, Ken Walgamuth. Um, in fact, I believe all the authors on this book were Christians. Uh, and uh, it's called The Grand Canyon Monument to an Ancient Earth. Can this flood explain the Grand Canyon? And it basically talks about all the creationist arguments for the ancient, or for the young earth, you know, and the Grand Canyon and, and refutes them one by one. Um, again, it's, it's, they even take care to explain, I got my autograph copy here with the authors. <laughs> but they, um, you know, they even take the time to explain that they're not knocking Christianity in here and why you know yeah. again it's 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 anti young earth creationism but it is written by Christians for Christians so I understand that, that. yeah yeah great that's awesome have, so. and um, I wanted to throw this out there to you too if you know anybody you know I mentioned Walt Brown do you know who Walt Brown is the guy I mentioned I do yeah he is in Phoenix here um, yeah. he works out of his house here in Phoenix yeah. So, yeah he has a um, I don't know if you know about this or maybe maybe it's uh, he he told me he has a standing offer to have a written debate 
with anybody with an earned degree in any science field. Right. And he'll pay them $10,000. It'll go into an escrow account. And he said they don't even have to win the debate. All they have to do is agree to do the debate and, and uh, finish the debate, and they'll automatically get that $10,000. So I'm, I'm really, yeah, I, I would love to see that because uh, to me that would be really interesting if you had two people from – I don't remember what the terms of the debate are, but, it, you know, I mean, Kent Hoeven used to have a $250,000, you know, standing offer. I don't think he could afford that now, but, but he, he, he had that out there for years. Um, and he um, – you know, the terms of the debate were – uh, basically, he put together a straw man of what evolution was, and then you had to prove that. So I, I'm not exactly familiar with Walt Brown's offer, but oh well, the I mean, cool I thing about Walt Brown's think- offer is you don't have to win it. All you have to do is participate, which I think is right. like, I mean, hey, that's a that's a win win, you know. So uh, yeah, I, I I feel like that'd be pretty interesting. Anyway, I just thought I'd throw that out there if you know anybody that's sure. that's uh, interested in that sort of a thing. But anyway, thank yeah. thanks for being on the program today. Uh, we're about out of time. I know. If, flies by so yeah it does thank you but i I, i'll I'll stay in touch with you and if um if uh i I was talking off air to bill uh for those of you listening and uh maybe i'd love to debate you here in san diego um sometime so if you're open to that um that'd be a fun thing i think it would be great you know like a powerpoint presentation type thing yeah something where we could up at san diego state university back and forth that would be wonderful. Yeah, I'd be really happy to do that. So. Okay. Hey, thanks a lot, Bill. It's been great. Thanks. Thank you very much. Okay, take care. Okay, thanks for everybody Bye. listening out there. I, I hope you guys uh, enjoyed the, the program here, and I'll probably, uh, if Bill's willing, probably have him on again sometime because I, I thought it was great. So uh, anyway, um, have a great day, and we'll be back uh, next week. Take care. Did you miss part of today's program? Don't worry, we're committed to helping you get the info you need. Okay, that was dumb. But for real, visit EducateForLife.com for podcasts and video recordings of the show and to sign up for the School of Unshakable Faith. Leave us your comments, compliments, questions, or concerns at 800-243.